Good morning. Good morning. Appreciate the music team being up here, leading us in worship, uniting our hearts. Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we just thank you for this time that we have to gather together. We thank you for your word that uh, teaches us and guides us and empowers us through your spirit, encourages us and helps us. Pray, Lord, that uh, our time in the word this morning would be very valuable and would uh, help us to become better followers of yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, last week we read about the great white throne judgment. And that's the judgment at the end of time, at the end of this time on the earth, where everybody has to give an account to God for the things they've done in their lives. So, you know, that's a kind of a scary time to think about, not for Christians, but for the world, that they will have to stand before God. So I'd like to just read a few verses that we looked at last time in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15 that talks about that as we move into a further passage this morning. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. That's God coming down as the judge and everything flees from him because of his power. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Excuse me. Now, our society, our American society, has to a large degree dismissed the thought of us having to give God an account of what we've done. And as a society, we've kind of moved away from thinking of God as our judge. Uh, we, we kind of like to think of him more as this doting grandfather that says, now don't tell your mother I gave you this. But the Bible clearly says, just as we read, there will be an end time judgment and those whose names are not found written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. It's a scary thing to think about, you know, as, if you're living and you're thinking and you don't know Christ and you're thinking, will I make it? I used to kind of think that before I knew the Lord. And I used to try to comfort myself by saying, well, I'm better than this guy. And just try to find some reason that I could fit in. 
But, of course, the great news is that we can choose not to go to the lake of fire for eternity, even if we have sinned, because everybody has sinned, right? But we can be certain, while we are still on this earth, that we can be absolutely, clearly spared from the eternal lake of fire if our sins are forgiven. <clears throat> you know, when you ask people if they're going to go to heaven or if they're right with God or something like that, they try to think, like I said, they try to think, compare themselves with others. They try to think of how good they've been. But really, we need to ask them, are your sins forgiven? How do you make certain that our sins are forgiven? And that's the key. We have to have forgiven sins. All sins have to be cleansed. And God promises us that he will forgive our sins if we repent of them and turn to Jesus Christ as our Savior who died on the cross to pay for our sins. And if we go to him in humility and accept him as our Savior and say he's the only way we can get to heaven, we humble ourselves, admit we are sinners, then Christ's death covers us and we will be able to go to heaven because of our confession, because what Christ did on the cross. And his death on the cross paid for every sin for anyone who will turn to him. <clears throat> and then we become a child of God, and then we start living for him. And we don't live selfishly anymore, but we live for Christ. Now the good news doesn't end there. It only gets better from there. And now we're going to see, as we keep moving on in the book of Revelation, we're only going to cover a little bit this morning, but we're going to see what happens at the end of this present age when Christ defeats the armies of this world. You know, at the end of the age, we read last week that the armies will gather from all across the world and they'll travel, it says, across the earth, like the sand of the seashore, and they'll travel and they'll try to fight Christ as he's coming down on his horse to defeat them. And you might be able to guess that they don't have much of a chance. It's like, it's over. He's defeated all the armies of the world. <clears throat> so now I want you to follow along as I read from there, verses 1 through 4, chapter 21. This is the Apostle John, and he's seeing all these visions about what's going to happen at the end of our age. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. <clears throat> Did you know that the, at the end of this present age, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth? 
You know, the common misconception is that when we go to heaven, we have no connection to this earth anymore. But the truth is, those who die as Christians at the end of this age, before God creates a new heaven and a new earth, all of these believers who die before God creates the new heaven and new earth go to a temporary place, and we call it paradise. And we will meet them on the new earth unless we die before, and we go to paradise and wait until God creates the new heavens and the new earth. This present earth was wrecked by sin. Satan tricked our first parents, Adam and Eve, to disobey God in the garden. He, he convinced them that God was trying to hold back from them. Certainly, God knows. And so they fell for it. Creation was cursed. Humanity was cursed. And everything that has happened throughout the history of mankind has been tainted by sin and corruption. And so we faced it everywhere we've gone. We ourselves are affected by that, aren't we? But then God set up a plan to abolish sin, and he's going to cast all those who refuse to turn to him for forgiveness into the lake of fire, and he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth that will be free of sin forever and ever and ever. And we will live there for eternity our bodies will be redeemed. <clears throat> That's why we have to die in order to go into the new heavens and the new earth because these bodies can't take eternity. They won't last. And so either we die or the people who are left at the end will be raptured and be changed in a twinkling of an eye. But our redeemed bodies will be will be made for eternity. And he says there will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying or pain. Now, <clears throat> I believe this no more crying has to do with sorrow and loss and hurt and pain. I imagine there could still be tears of joy. Maybe lots of those. But verse 1 says... I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, <clears throat> the sea in the Bible oftentimes refers to like the abyss, where monsters come out of it. And the sea is dangerous, and people get killed by the sea. And in the Bible, there's, there's Leviathan. He comes from the sea, and he destroys people. He destroys boats and and, and people on the sea. He's an evil sea monster. And in literature, it refers to Leviathan. And then also, in the book of Revelation, the dragon comes from the sea. The beast comes from the sea. And biblical scholars believe that the sea is used here as a metaphor, and it fits in with all the context that we see in the Bible. And then the holy city, Jerusalem, <clears throat> prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. As the holy city comes down upon the earth, look what happens. Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is going to be a major feature of the new earth. It's going to be the capital of the whole new earth. All since the beginning of mankind, God desires, desired and and his attention was to live with mankind, to live with people, to live among his people. And you see it all through the Bible. He, he, his whole desire is to dwell with people. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He communicated and guided Abraham <clears throat> and the patriarchs. He met with Moses on the mountain and in the tent of meeting. He communicated through judges and prophets. He sent his son who became a man, who became a human being, to live with mankind, and he lived right with mankind. It said he tabernacled here. He sent his Holy Spirit during this age to indwell us as Christians, we who come to Christ, and he makes his home within us. And now here, we see that he makes his permanent home with mankind, so he's been working that all the way through and had to work through all the sin and corruption and everything until he makes his home with mankind. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. His dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And now I'd like you to look to see how God describes the new earth, or we might even say the new world order in verses 5 through 8. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. He's talking to John the Apostle. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. God is saying that this new earth is going to be a complete renewal. You know, Jerusalem had always been God's choice of his city, his place of dwelling. You know, Solomon's temple was built there. That was the land that God gave them. Jerusalem became the capital of the land. But because of evil, because of evil people, especially the religious leaders of Jesus' day, but you know, beyond that also, Jerusalem actually became the apostate city and showed its hatred for God when they sacrificed his own son, when they, when they crucified his own son out of unbelief and rejection of God. 
But now on the new earth, Jerusalem will once more become the holy city dedicated to God, the heavenly city of the saints, the bride of the Lamb. It's going to be lifted up as the premier city for all time throughout eternity. The prophet Isaiah speaks of a new and glorified Jerusalem, which will be the center of the world in the last days. He says, Yahweh will come to Zion as redeemer after destroying the apostate earthly Jerusalem. Zion will put on garments of splendor. And God will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. And then the prophet Ezekiel says, The land will be like the Garden of Eden, and God's sanctuary will be set in the midst of his people forevermore. And then there are many more prophecies concerning the future Jerusalem, more in the Old Testament prophets, even in the intertestamental books between <clears throat> that didn't make it into our Bible, and even some New Testament passages that speak of the heavenly Jerusalem to come. It's going to be the bride of the Lamb. It's going to be beautiful. And the amazing thing, the amazing truth about the new Jerusalem coming from heaven to the earth is that it is God descending to be with mankind forever and ever and ever. He will be with us. We will be with him. We will be able to see him. And things will be totally different on the new earth. We will not be living among corruption anymore. We will not be dealing with any deceit or even pollution. We will not be living with unfaithfulness and false pride. We ourselves will be free of sin. We won't be trying to hide things from each other. We won't be phony or, or fake with people. We won't have rude neighbors. We won't be rude neighbors. We won't have family breakups. We won't have lying politicians. We won't have billionaires who try to gather together and take over the control of the world and the money systems. And God says, all of these promises are trustworthy and true. We can bank on them. Everything we read in here, it's going to come true. Everything in the past has come true. We can bank on the future things that we're looking at. We can even promise it to others because God has promised it to us. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. It all starts and ends with God. He is the sovereign one. His promises are completely true and trustworthy. <clears throat> They will never, ever fail. Now, they don't often come like we think they will, or they think they should. We think they should, but they always come. And it's always much better than the way we thought they would come. People lose heart because they, they're, they're losing their confidence in God when it doesn't happen the way that they plan it. But that's where we have to use our faith. And God says that the victorious will inherit all of this new beauty on the new earth. <clears throat> you know, I've said this a number of times, but the new earth is going to be so beautiful, so pristine. It's going to be like remade earth, refashioned earth. 
And I said, you know, I'm not against bucket lists, but if there's something on the bucket list you cannot ever do, don't worry, on the new earth, it'll be so much better on the new earth than what you could have done on this earth. As beautiful as this earth is, the new earth will be much, much more beautiful. He says, the victorious are those who place their faith in Christ, even when the world tries to convince them that God is not trustworthy, that he doesn't exist. His future plan is solid and certain. We never have to worry. All through history, God has asked us, has asked people to trust in him. And often we are to trust in him even when it looks like what he says can't happen. And then we've seen in the scriptures how things have come in such, in ways that we could never even have dreamed of the birth of certain people. So we have to place our faith in him even when it looks like evil is winning and our side is losing. Even when people who write books or become famous scientists or celebrities try to tell us that God doesn't exist. God says, trust in me. Even when evil people become earthly rulers and threaten to punish us for following Christ, God says, trust in me. The Bible describes <clears throat> scenes in heaven of those who were killed for their faith in Christ, and the scenes in heaven are described <clears throat> excuse me, like all of these people, multitudes gathering, screaming loudly, you know, exorbitantly, they're praising God for his victory. And those are the ones who died for Christ, and they're as joyous as can be. And as he casts the beast and the false prophet and Satan into the lake of fire, they're just praising God to the top of their voice. And so, at the end, Faith in God is the victory, isn't it? Faith in God is the eternal victory for the victorious. For those who stay with Christ, even when it looks bad, even when it looks impossible, faith in God is the victory. For God has promised. I am making everything new. Let's pray.